celebrated 26 years of a marriage this past Wednesday. And so thank you, thank you for allowing us to serve here. And we appreciate, appreciate uh, Miss Andrea staying with me those years. My favorite, you want to hear anniversary joke? I don't do jokes, I do funny stories. You want to hear one, can I do one little anniversary joke? I need somebody to nod. It's like a catcher, like all of your baseball catchers going, uh, no, I'm not telling anything going to get me in trouble. But anyway, I was a, I was at somebody's 50th. I, so wherever I would have been, 18, 20, I was at somebody's 50th. And I thought, number one, anybody 50 was old. And number two, don't talk real loud because if you scare old people, you know, boom. And, uh, you know, that's how young and dumb I was. <laughs> so I was there. I was there in it. And children were saying nice things. We were friends of the children. I was friends. My family was friends of the children. I didn't really know the people. And, um, and so it got time. And so they, would you like to say anything? And so the husband got up. <laughs> husband got up. And he said, he said some nice things about his wife or the family and thanked everybody. And he said, he said, I'm, I'm just really thankful for 27 good years. His wife elbowed him. We've been married 50. He said, I know, there's only 27 of them been good. And uh, so I'm assuming he slept with his children that night. But anyway, so, uh, so I've always thought, man, that was gutsy. But I reckon if you've been married 50 years, you can say whatever you want. But uh, anyhow, so that's my one joke. If you're, if you're offended, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. We've had 26 great years. Somebody record that. And, uh, and so I'm, uh, I'm thankful. So thank you for that. And we're delighted to serve here, and, uh, and we appreciate it so much. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 20. Stand with us one more time. If you're willing and able, read God's Word together. Pay honor to His Word. <clears throat> let me back up. Uh, let me read verse 20, and then you'll catch on the screen there, verse 25. But you have not so learned Christ, so be you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus you put off, there's our command concerning the former lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So he's going to work our way out here <clears throat> from those commandments that are vertical and those commandments that are horizontal. The first four being vertical, <clears throat> that is the idea of holiness, righteousness, the last six beginning there with, with commandment five, honor your father and mother. How does that work out? He's going to give us four today and a few next time. Verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The, the uh, lawyer profession would go out of business if we live by verse 25. Somebody say amen. But you be ye angry. Finally, something you can all amen. And sin not, nuts. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Notice the coupling that he's doing here. <coughs> he's given something to put off, something to put on, and he gives a reason or a benefit. Verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more. Rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication, speech, <coughs> texting, Digital communication, proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Great word, building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. If you'll allow me, new man, new apparel. New man, new apparel. Walk worthily. Let's pray together. Father, help me to preach your word with power and authority, with clarity. May I speak well. 
may enunciate clearly, but more than that, would you preach on the inside? We live in a crossroads. Father, where people, for whatever reason, don't believe in life-changing grace. Where for whatever reason, Lord, the precious blood has lost its power. That's not what your grace does. That's not how you've saved us. And so help us today. Help us be reminded of some things, to be informed of some things. Help us more than that to be confronted, to repent, where we've let some things come in our lives. And understand that because you have made us new, we can live differently. We can live differently. We have life-changing power through the resurrection of Christ. So we ask that you do that right now. We ask all this in your son's wonderful name. And amen. You can be seated. <coughs> you can be seated. If this is the owner's manual for the church, chapters 4, 5, and 6, then, then certainly he's got the right parameters for us here. And he's been telling us what to do. And I've just enjoyed so much. And we'll finish out. If you ever, if you ever needed help in a relationship, Lord willing, next time where he tells us, or excuse me, in two times from now, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, Lord willing, next time. And then in two, uh, two more times or two more weeks, we're going to get into how do we get along with people. And he's going to give us some of the keys for relationships. Really, he's going to start that off. It's going to wave its, weave its way into chapter 5. And so if you've ever struggled, if you're like me and you've ever struggled, I'm telling you, and if you've ever been to me for marital counseling, by the way, one of the first things I have you do is memorize Ephesians 4, 30, and 31. And, and so we want to learn those kind of things 30, uh, through 32. So we want to learn those kind of things. We're new creations in Christ. We're to think differently and respond to the truth differently and act differently. I've suggested to us one way to break down these last verses is, remember, don't live like lost people. He says there's a, some things that should not be associated with people who follow Christ. Understand that your relationship to Jesus is now different. Your relationship to Jesus is different, and your relationship to sin and the holy living is different. Holy living is different. I never forget some years ago, I led a man to Christ, and, and uh, he was working in an instruction area. And Tuesday or Wednesday, I forget whatever it was, <coughs> he called me. He said, Rodney, something bad wrong. I said, I don't know what's going on. How many, of you, how many of you are always nervous when somebody you know comes to Christ and you're worried about people getting to them and they're not understanding and, and you want to kind of help them and babysit them? And I said, oh, no, what's wrong? And What's wrong? He said, man, he said, uh, he said, I bruised myself real bad. Some lumber fell on my hand. He said, and I said some ugly words. I said, I don't know what you mean. He said, I felt terrible. I felt terrible. He said, something's broken. He said, I say those words all the time. I said those words now, and I feel terrible. I said, that's the Holy Spirit of God saying you shouldn't say that. He said, how do I make it stop? I said, stop using those words. And uh, he said, he said, is this guy how it's going to be? I said, you have a new relationship with sin. Your relationship with sin, things you used to do now bother you that never bothered you before, or at least you'd learn how to squelch that. You have a different relationship here, different relationship. And he uses this expression, put off and put on, like dirty clothes. Some of you commented last week about, about uh, your young person or your niece or nephew going off to camp, and you laughed about that or send them to somebody's house and all, so I won't redo all of those kind of things. But that certainly helps us, and it fits here. Fits here. So what's this going to look like? What's this going to look like? Well, if, if you'll allow, how many, uh, how many married folks we have in here? Been married? 
How many of you happy to, happily married? Yeah, get those hands up. And uh, I wish you could see it. So I'm like, Joy, next time I do that, I want you on the stage to see how many people look at their spouse to see if they should raise their hands. I'm not making it up. I don't have to mess with it. How many of you getting married the next week? Put your hand up, Bubba. All right, yeah. <laughs> Mr. David, if you'll just help him get a ride home. And uh, back there, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I do a lot of counseling sometimes with young people. I've done a lot of counseling. And, and I always I like this question. How long, does it take to get, how long does it take to get married and start a family? Years. Years. I go, no. <laughs> take years. I said, how long is it take? And I, I said, you can get married and have a family in about 90 minutes. Right? You go to the courthouse, get the stuff, find a justice of peace. Do you, do you, I do. Somebody signs it. You pay the money. You know, and then, <laughs> you know, starting a family, you know, those kind of things. You, you can get married and start a family. Now, having a family in, in a marriage takes a while. Takes a while. So you need to be the person you ought to be right now because you're only 90 minutes away from being married and starting a family. And I tell that to young people, and they go, you know, I better get working on me, you know, because I, I can be married and start a family in about 90 minutes. And so and if you disagree with me, see me after service, and I'll, I'll kind of walk you through that. So this, what he's talking about here, is the difference in a wedding and a marriage. Coming to Christ, being positionally made righteous, the finished work of the cross, I'm not doing anything to gain his favor. That was all taken care of. And what he did, paying the penalty for my sins that day and then rising again, I am fully justified. I am positionally sanctified. I've been made and declared righteous. But how does that work out? How's the rest of that go? Glad you asked. He gives us four ideas here. Four things we're to put off, put on, and some reasons why. <laughs> and as much as I started to just to shorten this up and cram a bunch of it together, I'm thinking, you know what? In 2022, this is revolutionary. In 2022, we're nowhere near some of these things. And so maybe it'd be a good idea just to take a whole service and walk through a little bit of that. Now, here's, here's the problem. If I hit the first one, truth for, or lying for truth, and you go, well, I don't have a problem with that. And so you get your rake out, or you get your shovel out, and you go, yeah, but so-and-so over there, man, they wouldn't know the truth if it bit them. And you fling it at them. I don't want you to do that. I want you to get your rake out and pull it in. And let God work on your heart. And if you really do, go, man, I think, I think God's helped me in this area. Pray for someone who has it. And see again the marked distinction in someone who's following Christ and who's letting Christ and the Holy Spirit change their life. The old-timers used to say it like this, mortification, put it to death. But then there's vivification. Man, we have this that gives us life. And then, then the why that's there for all of you people who need the why, he gives it to us. So walk with me through this, if you would. Walk with me through this so as we start off. Again, he's talking righteousness, holiness, put off, put on, and the benefit why. All right, number one. He just put off lying for truth. Put off lying for truth. Anybody in here, you have a relative, that's one of their favorite sayings. Well, I can't stand a liar. I grew up with people who can't stand liars and thieves. Liars and thieves. There was no insult in my father's repertoire by calling someone a liar or a thief. 
He couldn't stand. He couldn't stand either one. Was convinced God couldn't, and uh, and he would just go on a tirade about some things. Anybody grow up with folks like that, where that was the ultimate slur to somebody who couldn't tell the truth? I mean, couldn't tell the truth. And everybody had colorful ways of doing it. Like four of you, the rest of you grew up with honest people. All right, very good. He says, "Put away lying for the truth." You're there in verse 25. Put away lying. Speak every man truth to his neighbor, for we are members. One another. It literally says, put away the lie. Lost people in this time, lost people in Ephesus, told the, told the truth so irregularly, it was more normal for them just to lie. <clears throat> My brother likes to say, how can you tell so-and-so's lying? I said, how? He says, his lips are moving. And, uh, and they, they told so many lies because it benefited them. It was so associated with not following Christ. With not following Christ for years and years, I, <coughs> I would uh, teach a couple of classes, and, and I was on church staff and, and at our Christian school, and, and, uh, and I had an eighth grade Bible class. You may know, you may know what's special about seventh, eighth grade. It's at this point, the girls have a growth spurt, and the boys don't, but their voice changes. So if you close your eyes, you can't tell who's a boy or a girl if they're just talking to you. I mean, it's just... It's just crazy, and and they're they're growing. I'm, I'm being a little funny, and uh, and and they're growing and all. And I had a young guy, and he just he just bombed everything. He just was t- he didn't care. He was just bombing everything. So our rule was we <coughs> if somebody failed a test, we'd send the test home. Parent would have to sign it, and bring it back. And so we were doing all this kind of thing. So I had the collection of this one fella, and again I was just an irregular, just a part time teacher at our Christian school. And man, his his dad was furious. He just found out his boy was failing, failing all kinds of things, and uh, wouldn't. And he was mad that the school wasn't, wasn't the school wasn't sending anything home. The principal comes, calls me in my office. I find the stuff, give it to him. The other teachers do. <coughs> Dad walks out, shakes my hand, says, "Mr. Holman, I'm sorry, I was upset with you." And the other folks, he said, "But uh, don't worry, I'm going to handle it." I had no idea what he's talking about. His boy was taking the test home and signing his dad's name to it. Get some of that. And bringing him back in. He had his dad's signature down so well. His dad, if he hadn't have been there, nobody would have known differently. He had his, he had apparently instead of studying, he'd spent so much time copying his dad's signature. And so he had his dad's signature, and the young man came back the next day, and he's married and all now. I, I hear from every now and then. Came back the next day, shook my hand, said, Mr. Holm, this won't happen again. I'm going to do better. I said, oh, oh, you're more interested in those things? No, sir, I'm never having that discussion with my father again. And, uh, and we go from there. And so he says, don't lie. He, when he talks about these kind of things, falsehood. Lying is one of those things we like to lie about. Somebody nod if you understand that kind of thing. Well, you know, it's just a character flaw. It's just, well, everybody lies. Well, if I told the truth. He talks about things to put them off, put off deception, put off hedging, put off exaggeration, half-truths, plagiarism, flattery, hypocrisy, Breaking your promise. It should not be so with you. In your notes there, Colossians 3, 9. Lie not one to another, seeing you put off the old man with his deeds, verse 10, and put on the new man which is renewed. Last two weeks, I've been lied to to my face by two different people. Used to, at least, being a pastor, they'd be superstitious. You know, if I lie to the preacher, I'm going to turn into a greasy spot there. That wasn't the case. One was an older person, one was a younger person. How do you know they were lying? I know they were lying because I, I accidentally asked them the question. I was making conversation, asked them a question that I already knew an answer to, and both of them chose to lie to me. 
The one I almost called out. The one I almost tackled. What do you mean lying to me? What do you mean? Who are you? I will squish you like a bug. If I sit on you, you'll never get up again as much as I weigh. And you will lie here until you repent. Anybody ever been struggling with that? Why should we not lie? He gives us an answer here. For, don't forget, lying is a vertical sin. It's always an offense to God. But when you sin against the body of Christ, you hurt the church. It's a stab in the very, into the very vitals of the body of Christ. Chapel says there's four things that carry on here. Don't forget, he says, you can lie when you misrepresent your own work. If you work somewhere collaboratively, don't take credit for somebody else's work. That's a lie. Don't misrepresent your own self. Anybody in here struggle with trying to make yourself look better to other people? It's not true. You may be able to tempted to create controversy. I've told the story years ago. I was hard up for a haircut. That's not a problem anymore. I can go several months now and, uh, and do okay. My hair is so thin now, my barber has a hard time charging me full price, and, uh, which is okay. But uh, I, I was hard up for a haircut, and I went and sat down. Lady started going, and all of a sudden she said, she said, did you hear about the pastor at the Ahosky Church, which is where I was pastoring? I said, no. She started to tell me all this rotten, terrible things that I was doing and the problems with the church, and I came to figure out that one of our members had been in there and unloaded and confided in the barber and the hairstylist, knowing that the code of silence that is absolute between the customer and the barber, as they were sharing with me more gossip. And I'm sitting there going, how many folks have they told this to? And they're there, and they're working on me, and she's cutting my hair and all this kind of stuff and get done. And she said, I never asked you, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm the pastor over at Hardin Valley Church, or excuse me, at a Husky Church, and uh, thank you so much, thank you so much, uh, don't worry, I'm going to try and do better, and uh, of course that Sunday was all I could do not to preach on gossip, and in, in the church, you know, this kind of thing, when you lie, you hurt the body of Christ, you hurt other people there, Zechariah 8.16, speak the truth one to another, don't be guilty of this, don't misunderstand what's going on here. Christian people ought to be people of the truth. Let me help us. Let me help us. <clears throat> uh, conspiracies may be interesting to you. And every now and then, conspiracies may be absolutely true. Be, be careful. Be careful hitching your wagon to something you don't know is true. Be careful. Be careful repeating things. Repeating things. When you've not gone to the person they involve, don't be guilty of lying. Some of you are old enough to remember when, when, when you could shake somebody's hand, you didn't need a contract. You didn't need a contract. We sold a house. <clears throat> long, long story. Needed to. And uh, the guy that was buying the house shook my hand. I, I knew him through a friend. We get to the place. His daughter handles his business affairs. We're getting ready to sign the papers. She says, Stop. If you're getting ready to sell something like that, you don't want to hear anybody say stop. She says, I'm not signing the thing. Do you tell me how you know you're my father? I said, I don't. I know your father's friend. We met. He wanted to buy the house. <clears throat> we needed to sell the house. I discounted it. He shook my hand. Here we go. He says, he shook your hand? He shook my hand. He says, okay. I said, 
Daddy shook your hand. We're going to do the deal. And there we were. It was a man of honor, man of integrity. Don't lie. Make sure that you replace lying for the truth. Lying for the truth. If you believe that, by the way, and why, why is it so important? John 8 and 44 says that, that who is the father of lies? That's Satan. So secondly here, secondly here, replace, replace rage. Replace rage and resentment for righteousness. Now, how many of you, how many of you, okay, lying, that makes sense to me. Nod your head at me. You with me? Nope, like four of it. All right. Rage and resentment. All right, well, lying's pretty easy, but I like being mad. I like, a, I like losing my temper. I like getting on social media and fixing everybody. Anybody know anybody like that? Keyboard warriors? <laughs> and, they, and they get on there. I got called out. Anybody, anybody ever think the preacher gets called out on something? Like, all right, that's the most hands ever. I got called out today for something I didn't do. How many of you realize you can't win when you get called out for something you didn't do? Guy called me out. He said, you didn't speak out. So there was a pastor somewhere in Texas who said, who said that all homosexuals ought to be shot. And you didn't speak out against it. And he was just ripping into me. And I wrote him back and I said, A, I've never heard of the guy. B, um... I didn't know he'd said anything like that. See, I'm pretty sure the commandment's still in there, thou shalt not murder. So I didn't really realize I needed to editorialize on what God had already said. I'm pretty sure I'm, pretty sure I'm safe. But if you're going to criticize me, then i got to ask you, how many of my sermons have you listened to? So I'm going to come and give me an amen here. Are you just reading my titles or whatever? And uh, I said, I'm not, <coughs> I'm not, my job is not to defend every crazy person on the planet who thinks that murder is a good idea and hatred is a good idea and rage is a good idea. That should be one of the things that we're putting off like dirty garments. That we're able to be self-controlled and angry at the right things. And you're saying, preacher, <coughs> preacher please, read it with me. Be angry and sin not. I'm glad it never says don't be angry. Some of you grew up that way. You grew up, just, just eat it, sit on it, let it ball up. Good people don't ever get upset. Good people don't ever do it. Be angry and sin not. There is a righteous anger. Jesus goes into the temple. He doesn't like what he sees. He goes home, sleeps on it, comes the next day, turns over the money changer, the folks who are robbing other folks blind for the privilege to worship. Jesus goes in one time, he fashions a little whip, and he cracks it and runs them off. How many of you, how many of you that messes with your idea of Jesus being a manly man? and full of righteous indignation and fury. Be angry and sin not. That's our problem. Our problem is we get angry when it doesn't go our way. Anybody, anybody, hear, anybody hear it when you were little, you'd hold your breath when you get mad? How many of you, how many of you think that's childish? How many of you know adults that are childish? Don't get their way. Well, I'll show them. I'll do this. I'll do that. If we did this one thing here, we'd almost cut out most of the drama in the church. By the way, if you figure out how to be angry over the right things, not the wrong things, not the selfish things, we'd fix a whole lot of family drama. How many of you would like to say goodbye to some family drama? Say amen. Righteous anger here. <clears throat> it's the idea, Psalm 4, 4, properly expressed anger in the life of the believer. When Paul says he didn't, he, he didn't say be angry and sin not, he's not, he's not dismissing temper tantrums. He's not dismissing 
uncontrollable fits of rage. He's not talking about lingering bitterness. You are to put those away. Our problem, our problem is we're not mad at the right things anymore. I'm, I'm not real upset. I'm not, I'm not real upset at a, a 13-year-old being confused about things. I'm just not. I'm controlled at the 47-year-old who wrote that, got somebody to film it, got somebody to turn it into a movie, and then a bunch of knuckleheads at Netflix decided they would just put it out there with no warnings, and that a 13-year-old who's home by themselves for a couple hours can flip on and see what used to be hardcore porn with almost no warning. I am furious at that person. Somebody say amen to me. I am, I am furious. I am furious. I am furious. <coughs> That, that folks think it's a good idea to have somebody of one gender dress up like somebody of another gender and then give a little kid dollar bills and ask them to go put them up there <coughs> in, inside of their costume around their waist. I'm not mad at the kid. I'm furious at the other. Be angry and sin not. I'll do you one better than that. 50,000 people live within five minutes of this building. And somebody somewhere has convinced them that Jesus is not worthy of their worship. And that, and that the gospel is a good alternative, but it's not necessity. I, I get upset when people sit there, pick their fingernails and dink around on their phone, and they're in the house of God, and they won't give Him 45 minutes of their attention. I'm not mad you're being disrespectful to me. I'm upset you're being disrespectful to Him, because He is worthy. God give us people filled with indignation for what is right. But how do you know when that's going on? Because it isn't about you, it's about Him. It isn't about you, it's about the Word. He says we are to do this. <clears throat> the advice lady, he wrote to her one time in the paper, said, Dear Ann, my husband and I have tremendous fights. Anybody in here know people have spectacular fights? We have tre tremendous fights. Said, said, he keeps quoting a Bible verse to me. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. But we're not finished. What am I supposed to do? She said, you're right. The Bible's right. Said, so my advice to you, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Instead of going to bed mad, I suggest to you, you stay up and fight. Sincerely yours, Ann. <laughs> I'd be like, good, stay up and fight. That's what the preacher said. No. There's some things, man, we ought to be furious about. Sinful anger, I don't know what that is. It holds a grudge, seeks retaliation, revenge, and harm. Don't brood over it. Don't allow it to simmer. Sometimes you can't get things reconciled, but in your heart you can forgive. The longer you let a broken relationship go without reconciliation, the easier it becomes for Satan to drive a wedge. Hmm. Well, I'm not going to see that person. I'm not going to do that. Had somebody come through in the last six months. Was mad, mad for all the new people here. Preacher, I don't know anybody here. Well, if you've been here in the last three years, you know, maybe it'd have been a shot. You know, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not. We got open doors. We got a Savior worthy of worship. We got a Bible that we center our worship on and focus that spotlight back on Jesus. 
We have a Holy Spirit that's, that's working in our hearts. We have people who are unsaved who need to come to Christ. We have marriages need to be fixed and homes that need to be, be uh, revitalized. We, we have all these things that grace needs to be poured out on. And I'm sorry you're mad that there's people here you don't know, but that's an easy fix. My name is. How are you? You got plans for lunch? Right? We're angry at all kind of foolish things. And I'm not talking all the introverts in here going, preachers talking. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking introverts, extroverts. I'm simply saying that's a funny thing to be mad about. Proper anger, by the way, is a sign of spiritual life and health. I can be angry. This is not right. This needs to be fixed. This needs to be taken care of. This, this is not right. We're dishonoring the Lord. But when it becomes nursed, it gets personal. Romans chapter 12. It's in your notes there. If you've got your Bible, I don't know if I put it on the screen or not. Uh, <coughs> Romans chapter 12. Did I put it in the notes there? Yeah, Romans chapter 12. If you've got your Bible, you can look at it. You look on the screen. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it possible, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. Had a guy tell me one time that says men, not women. That's not possible. He's being funny. <coughs> and his wife wasn't around. Verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Rather give place under, neither give place to wrath, for it is written. I'm sorry, I it wrong. Rather give place to wrath. Whose wrath? For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God will handle it. Say it back to me. God will handle it. One more time. God will handle it. The best thing ever happened to anybody is to be judged in this world rather than await judgment later on. God will handle it. I came across this quote. Let me read it to you. A guy named Frederick Buechner. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past. To roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come. To savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. He says, do not sin. How do I know my anger is not sinful? Do not sin. Don't throw a fit. Don't seek revenge. Don't throw a punch. Don't do that. Don't dishonor the name of God. Don't be angry for too long a period of time. Don't let the sun go down. Don't stay up and fight. Forgive. Handle it. Don't give the devil an opportunity. The wedge that comes when there's anger. Unforgiven, unbridled anger it becomes a wedge. It turns to bitterness and bitterness ruins everything. Don't do that. He says, thirdly here, quickly, he says, uh, replace stealing for generosity. Stealing for generosity. Somebody said, preacher, you, you, you don't use a lot of four-letter words that are ugly. How do you, I, said, well, I use one that's pretty ugly. Work. Work. W-O-R-K, work. Every time I try and say either Maynard Krebs or Dobie Gillis, I get them confused, and like nine of you are waiting for me after the service to tell me who was who. There was a show back in the day 
for one of the characters couldn't say work. <coughs> and I can never keep them straight. Work. I'm always amazed. Young people with no jobs have $900 phones and complain about life. And my phone is coal-powered. And I have a job. <coughs> and we complain about things and we give things and we don't have any equivocation for work. Say, so you're starting to do your old man speech. I'm not going to do my old speech. I'm going to do a Bible speech. Work. Stop stealing and work. <coughs> Stop stealing and work. The Ephesian economy was based around agriculture. When there was no agriculture there, it was exactly commonplace to steal from others. He said, don't be like other people. Find more work. Stop stealing. Labor. Do something with your hands that are good. College, I'd have school bill due. I'd see people pray. They'd pray, God, send me my money from a college bill. God, send them a check. I'd pray, God, send me a check. And God, send me a job. Guess what? Both our needs are met. I, I, think, I, think, I think, well, the government's job is to take care of me or so-and-so. No, it's your job. And again, I, I, without having to make 22 caveats here, disabilities and, and all that, I'm not, I'm not saying, but for a lot of us, I mean, best thing in the world. You know what helped your character? Work. <clears throat> Get ahead of sweat. Find something to do. Do those kind of things. It is biblical to work. It is biblical to work. The APA, the American Psychological Association, <clears throat> presented a symposium on employee theft. Said it cost the average uh, American economy $8 billion a year in inventory shortages. <clears throat> of those losses, 10% clerical error. I'd find new clerks, by the way. 30% the shoplifting, and a shocking 60%, $16 million a day to theft by the employees. $16 million a day. Every now and then somebody says, well, we've got so many cameras. We've got so many cameras here for two reasons. One, we've got kids in the building. I'm going to make it as hard as I can for anybody with bad motives to do anything to a child. Somebody say amen to that. Second reason is because we've got humans in the building. Where the money is counted, there's a camera. <clears throat> Where the checks are written, there's a camera. <clears throat> Where the front door is, there's a camera. That's if anybody's coming in to beat me up, you're on camera. And uh, we, we, we got them. Why? Because sinful people, let them stole, stole and steal no more. We're going to do this. We're going to do the other. We're going to make it hard. Say, that's no problem. <clears throat> up the road, eight and a half miles, 150 to 200,000. They never did figure out how much, how much the lady got from the church. The church said, well, we're just going to be nice about it. As far as I understand, the lady's going down the road. Hopefully not doing it to another church. Downtown, <clears throat> 800 and some thousand dollars guy got from the treasury. No, no, let him that stole steal no more. It hurts the name of Christ. Report your taxes correctly. Stop trying to dodge everything. Don't borrow and forget to return. Don't steal from your employer. Do these things. Let him that stole steal no more. Put that off and put the other on. I think one of the best things to ever help your testimony is to be an employee who works hard. Don't talk about Jesus while you're sitting around in your 19th cup of coffee. Work. Do what you're supposed to. Holy Spirit can't smile on our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> this they did not as they hoped. Verse 5. But gave them own selves to the Lord. Why? So you can be generous. You can be generous. We are created to work. Work is a gift from God. 1 Thessalonians 3. If anybody doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. We're not talking politics in the morning. That fixed some political problems, right? If you can work, work. It can work. Proverbs says, 
The one who works will have plenty of food. Have plenty of food. We share with anyone in need, verse 28. We share with the saints in need, Romans 12, verse 13. Wesley said it like this, work as hard as you can, earn as much as you can, and give as much as you can. Work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, give as much as you can. Be people who work hard. Be people who work hard. I love Zacchaeus. I love Zacchaeus. You still with me? I love Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a rich man. Anybody here? Anybody here? Nobody that's really as wealthier than you are. <laughs> Finally, I get to raise my hand. Zacchaeus was loaded. Apparently, he was loaded the old-fashioned way. He stole it. Nobody wanted to cross him because he was a tax collector. Basically, he could do whatever he wants. So he would take what was Rome's belonged to Rome. Then he would take. He just add to it if he thought he'd get away with it. So he was defrauding people, upcharging 20, 50, 100%, whatever it was. He's so, he so consumed with his guilt, he comes back with a mathematical formula. I will return to everybody fourfold. He's ripped people off enough, he feels the need to go back and give them back four times what he stole from them. See what a changed life will do to you? I will work for the king, and I will be generous for the king. When I say God's not raising money, he's raising his children. Because if you love what's sitting in your wallet, or you love what's sitting in your bank account, or you love what's sitting in your back pocket more than you love Jesus, then you've got a love problem somewhere. You don't have a finance problem somewhere. Make sure you understand that. You work so you can be generous. You have extra so you can do and then give. That flips it out because I'm working for me. No, I'm working for God. And I get to do that. I get to do that. I love when young people, man, they work around the house and they get four or five dollars or whatever, and mom and dad say, you're going to put a dollar in the box in the back. Learn to hold on to it loosely. By the way, you can be absolutely broke and be miserly toward God. And you can be overwhelmingly flush. And open-handed and giving it away as fast as it comes in. Zacchaeus, when God changed his life, his view of work, and generosity chain. Then the last one here, the last one, edifying for corrupting speech. Edifying for corrupting speech. I changed things. I shortened stuff down here. Yeah, I'll put the notes. The notes will be online. Edifying for corrupting speech. One last thing, verse 20. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That which is good to the use of building up, that it may minister grace to your hearers. I need you to think quickly. Has anybody here been, been hurt by text, speech, uh, what else would it be? Electronic communication. You may hear you had an ugly letter written to you recently. You can be dismissed. If you're, if you're that kind of a unicorn, you can go. Uh, how many of it doesn't take you long to think of the last time somebody hurt your feelings with speech, with communication? Do you remember the apology if you got one? You may hear still waiting on an apology? I think we ought to be quick with it, don't we? We understand the power to destroy and the power to tear down, but we're real flip with our comments and stuff like that. He says, don't have corrupt speech. Sometimes, maybe in your, in your margin there, it says unwholesome. <clears throat> it, could mean, it could mean rotten or putrid. There's two other ways it's translated in the New Testament. 
One, it's about rotten food, rotten fruit rather. The other, it's about rotten fish. You ever forgotten to take the trash out? You go to work, you come home, and it's there waiting for you at the door. Hello? You forgot me? Forgot me? <clears throat> I got now the habit of, of checking the, of checking the, uh, the nursery. And, uh, and uh, we we'd normally gather up all the trash stuff, and the, and the folks that cling do, and we just got out of the habit uh, over the last couple months. And uh, I walked in here Tuesday. I went in the office Monday. I walked in here Tuesday a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, something has died Apparently died twice, and uh, you know, and it was, it was, the nursery. So I went in there, put on a mask, sprayed everything, set it on fire, and uh, you know, your words that are not wholesome are like rotten fruit or rotten fish, and that's not how they're to be used. Great preacher Alexander White such an encourager, it said all of his geese become swans. He's obviously talking about obscenities. He's obviously talking about profanities. He's obviously talking about pejoratives here. Some of us need to come, and we need to figuratively lay our speech on an altar. God help me quit talking like lost people. I hurt the name of Christ when I do. Eliphaz told Job, Your words have supported me who has stumbled. You have strengthened my faltering knees. Instead of, instead of our speech being rotten, it should be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. It would elevate and edify and help others. It would, it would help and preserve that which it's applied to. Be careful here. Be careful. And be careful of the ruse nowadays because what I do electronically is not the same as what I say out loud. I got news for it. There's a lot of folks get really bold and really brave and really ugly electronically. Speech and speech. Communication is communication. You're signing. You're hitching, hitching the name of Christ up to what you say and do. Put it off. Put it off. Be like my friend. Preacher Rodney, what's wrong with me? You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you now. So what's wrong with you? And he doesn't like what you're saying. God tenderized my heart. Corrupt talk doesn't nourishes you. It makes you sick. Corrupt talk comes from a corrupt heart. Make sure that Matthew 12 says some of the most sobering things in all the New Testament. In the day of judgment, you will give an account for every idle word. Make sure that you're putting it off. How does this play out? Put on, put off. Righteousness, holiness. What's this look like? I come to Jesus and he lets me go to heaven. No, you come to Jesus and he starts changing your life. And here's four things you do. Stop stealing. Excuse me, stop lying. Embrace the truth. <clears throat> put away crazy rage and anger, selfishness, and instead reconciliation. Being angry about the right things. What's he saying for us to do? <clears throat> Those that stole, let them work. Be generous. Then your mouth. Kill the corrupt things. Stop making excuses for them. Instead, what will be beneficial? What will be beneficial? Let me help you here. Because these are commands. I think these are things to pray about too. I'm to obey and to pray. God help me. I'm struggling this area. Lord, I did it again. Forgive me for this. Help me. 
use your words convicted me. Well, that's what everybody does. Well, everybody's lost. Not everybody knows Christ. But you know Christ. You're supposed to live differently. Because I'm supposed to live differently. He's empowered me to live differently. And I get to go forward for him. This is the revolutionary way of living. This is what God does. And by the way, and he points that to verse 30, which is where we'll pick up. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. There's things you can do to hurt the heart of God. And by the way, he lists four of them already. And that's why I ask God to help us. Let's, let's pray together. Father, you love us so much. You're so good to us. <coughs> In a world of corruptness and people stealing and <coughs> a world full of lies. In a world full of hurt. Help us not return evil for evil. Help us not justify our sin. 